Amen. It's about his love and his love for us. And this morning I want us to talk about love. We're in a four-part series. This is the third part of a requirement, not a request. And today we're going to look at what love has to do with it. I come about this close to getting that clip of Tina Turner and putting it up there for you. But I said, no, let me hold off. But from the laugh, all y'all know that some. But I tell you, what love has to do with it is everything. It's God's love is the reason he created us. It's God's love. He created this world. You know, there are so many things I think that we take for granted. I am so thankful that God loved us enough that he wanted us to enjoy his creation, that he lets us see in color. You know, God didn't have to let us see. Everything could be black and white. But look at the beautiful colors. Just in this room, the, the sea of colors and those sunrises and those sunsets. Jesus' way of saying, I love you. I did this for you. And while some might not think it's pretty, but that symbol right there is the greatest symbol of love. And it's probably the most beautiful thing for a believer. That's where we got the right to be a part of God's family. We got to be shown the greatest act of love. So what's love got to do with it? It's got to do all of it. You know, in today's world, this is kind of a hard thing and a way to talk about because we take that word love and we just throw it around for so many things. I love a roller coaster. I love a good steak. Well, that one we might have to leave in there. Those are pretty good things. But we say I love for just so many things that the significance of God's great love for so many gets diminished in this world. And today I want us to look at this requirement, not a request of love coming out of, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the gospel according to Matthew 22 and verse 34. And Jesus has been uh, being questioned by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're always trying to catch him and to trick him. I would think maybe one day they would finally figure this out. He already knows where they're going. He's already prepared. And I love how he, Jesus, most of the time will turn it right around and put it back on them because they already know the answer. But today, one of the Sadducees wanted to ask Jesus a question. And I've often taken this a lot of times in reading and looking at it, that he at this point was trying to trick Jesus. Now, as I've said before, we wasn't there. That was some 2,000 years ago. But from the way it's written, many scholars believe that this gentleman asked this question. And I took this in a new light with a sincere heart. You see, God had given them some laws and the Sadducees and Pharisees all got together and they added to them over 613 laws. In fact, there were so many laws they couldn't keep up with them all. So what they decided they would do with the ones they added and they put them into big laws and little laws. As long as you focused on the big ones, you didn't have to worry about the little ones. So as a sense of your heart, this gentleman's really trying to grasp from Jesus, the answer to this question. 
If you would stand with me, please, as we read from Matthew 22, verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets. Father God, I do thank you this morning, Lord, for the privilege that we have in America. Father, because of your love for us, Lord, you penned this book that we call your holy word. It's a, a combination of a whole bunch of books, Lord. It's actually a library. And that, Father, in America today, each of us in this room can have our own copy. But, Father, it's such power in this word. And, Father, I just pray right now this morning, Lord, that you would allow our hearts to be softened by Holy Spirit and our ears opened. And that, Father, we can hear from Holy Spirit as you speak to us today, Lord, about love. Father, may we not have a worldly mind of love today, but may we get a biblical picture of what this love is that you're talking about in your word. And Father God, I just pray now that you would speak through me and that Holy Spirit would fill me, Lord. And Father, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we begin looking at this, there are three short things we want to talk about today. And the first one is that you need to love your God. He tells us that very plainly in verse 37. And he said to them that the greatest commandment of the law is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Most of your Bibles will probably have that in all capital letters for that part of verse 37 because Jesus was referring to them from the Old Testament. This is what's known as the Shema. It's something that they would have been taught as a child and growing all the way up about loving the Lord your God. And if you would, let's look at what Jesus was referring to. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Say amen once you're there. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a 
frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What is he talking about with this? He's telling them that they're to teach their children through every part of life. When you're sitting at home, just sitting around, when they grab their lazy boy and grab that lever on the side and threw up the feet and turned on gun smoke or something, you know, they're in the house there with the dirt floor. Jesus said, talk about loving the Lord your God. He is one God. He is the God. You remember God is teaching them as he brought them out of Egypt. They were not a monotheistic God worshiping group of people before. They served multiple gods. That's what God did when he brought them out of Egypt. He changed them and said, you are to worship me and me alone now. So teaching through everything, teaching while you're there gathered around the family, teach when you're going to sleep. What a sweet time it is for Nicole and myself and Waylon every evening as we're getting ready to go to sleep. We curl up in the bed together. I I wish y'all could hear this. And Waylon will start us off with the prayer. God, speak to us through Holy Spirit and Holy Word. And then we read the Bible together. And sometimes you think he's just over there. He's allowed to have just a couple of little things to occupy his busy little body. And you think he's not listening when he'll pop up with, what's that? Just something that you're reading and you know he's listening and he's grasping that. What a sweet time that is as you're going to bed. Right before you go to sleep, fill your mind with the word of God. That to know that he loves you. When you wake up, first thing in the morning, another time. So we get the morning, the middle of the day, the evening. As you're walking around, it's telling there in Deuteronomy. As you're doing everything diligently, teach them. But then it says to bind them on your hands and front of us. Have you ever seen a picture of the Jews when they got that stuff wrapped around their arm? And it's like a little, the best way I can describe it on the forehead. You remember the old cameras that took what was it the 35 millimeter camera had that little tube that they went in it looks like that because these jews take this literally and they have this shema wrote on that and it's up on this little cap on their head it's around their wrist it's on their doorpost it's on their gate everywhere they go the lord your god is one god you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind So that's what Jesus is telling when these Pharisees, his lawyer, asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. What is this to to love? The world says uh, love is anything that you like. You know, you love this, you love that, as I was talking about when we began. Some of us know that love a little more intimately. When you fall in love with someone and you marry someone and the two of you become one. But this love that's being used in this context is to have a warm regard for and an interest to another. But we notice here that love the Lord your God is the greatest. And then the next one is love your neighbor as yourself. The love... For the Lord your God is one of a love to a transcendent recipient, a special devotion. We should take as the first commandment of what we do is we're to have a special devotion to God, a special love, an intimate relationship. 
And I'm so glad that in this room we understand what this intimate relationship is. I can say that. You know, if I went over here to the high school and I talked about having an intimate relationship, you would hear, (laughs) and it would just be giggles because of what the world's turned that into. But an intimate relationship of a God who loves us enough to send his son to down the road to buy our pardon. That's the love that God has. That's who I want. I mean, someone who loves me unconditionally makes it a little easier to love by. You know, the reason we can love like that is because he loved us first. That's what the Bible tells us. That God loved us first. That we can love him. We can have a a special devotion to him. We don't have to wonder what is it that God's going to ask of me. What's God going to make me do? Because God loves us. He wants what's best for us. He's going to show us this love. A love that's unconditional. It's a holy love. It's a good kind of love. And we're to love back. We're to have a, a special devotion. We should commit our entire life to him. Why commit our entire life to him? Let me just give you a couple of the highlights. Number one, he created you. Number two, he took you out of the dark pit of sin and the slippery road to hell and put you straight on a road to heaven. And he gave you a relationship with him. We should devote everything we have to Everything in life, church, should come second to our devotion and our love to God. And I mean everything. Your spouse your family, your job, everything comes second because I promise you when you put God in his rightful place, everything else underneath will fall right into the place that it needs to be. So he said the first and the greatest commandment is to love, to have this special devotion to God. It says to love him with all your heart. If we could only just cut our chest open and take this beaten organ out and we could just give it to him, right? It's more. It's not the heart of the organ that's pumping the blood. This heart, as we've talked about before, is the center. It's the source of our whole inner life. It's who we are. It's what we're made of. It's how we act. It deals with our thinking and our our feeling. It deals with our volition, the, the faculty and the power of using one's will. Our heart is everything who we are, what we do, how we think. Now, do you begin to see why God wants us to love him? When we think love toward God, we can clear our minds of this trash that the world puts in it. When the world tells us of negative things and that God doesn't love us, we know the truth because we're taking our mind, we're taking who we are as the inner person and we're devoting it to God. We're thinking about him. We're thinking about his love, our feelings. Why does it matter how we feel? Because how we feel is how we act. That's part of that heart. We feel toward God this love. And when we can love toward God, it allows us to love others in the right style, in the right way. And that volition, that heart, what we choose to do. 
Here's where the rubber meets the road is with our actions. How easy it is to go around and say, I love you. I love you. It's a whole different thing when our actions match our words. I think I've probably shared this one with you one time. man sitting at the breakfast table. He's reading his newspaper, enjoying his bacon and eggs. His wife had just fixed him, and she's a little down. She says, honey, do you love me? He just kept eating. She asked him one time, honey, do you love me? He just kept eating. He was reading the newspaper. She said, honey, do you hear me? Do you love me? He shook the paper, folded it, and put it down. He said, I told you 25 years ago when we married, I love you, and I still do. There's a difference between saying I love you and acting it. And when we truly love our Lord God as the first commandment, it affects our heart, our thinking, our will, what we do. That verse there also says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the seat and the center of the inner man, the life. It also has to do with our our feelings and our emotions, but our soul, the inside, who we are, what we're made up of. Deep-seated soul to love him. To be devoted to him. We're getting beyond just the volition and the heart. But getting into who we are. You see. There's one condition to be able to do this. And we must be believers. Because if you're not a born again believer. If you've not surrendered your life to Christ. And allowed him to come in and change you. You don't have this love in your heart. You don't have this part of your soul that's there. You can't love And you sure don't love God, but when he comes in and changes you, he gives you that soul, that deep down, innermost part of who he is so that we can love him. So that it changes who we are. I believe this is part of that, what we talk about, that metamorphosis of salvation, becoming a new creature. Going from a hate of the world to being filled with the love of the Father, our souls. And then it also tells us to love him with all our mind That faculty, that ability we have up in the top of our heads. You know, oftentimes we talk about learning things and then moving it down to the heart. But here it's starting in the heart, I believe, and it's moving up. It's the last thing. I believe he started with heart because that's the center of who we are. And then he went to the soul, the deep down end. Now he's going to the mind. It's our comprehension our reasoning our understanding our intellect everything gets processed in this fabulous thing called our mind so much happens in the mind that we never know about do you know how many muscles it takes to move a foot to walk to move your mouth I used to could tell you, I came today, but I can tell you, I don't think about every muscle when I walk. I don't think about every muscle I use when I move my mouth. 
while we do think about those things, I'm going to walk and we begin to walk or I'm going to talk. What about breathing and your heartbeat? Can you imagine if you thought, take a breath, heartbeat, take a breath, heart? You couldn't do anything. There's a lot that goes on up here, a lot that's processed, and a lot that gets filled by this world and what it puts in. But we must take every thought captive and put it under the obedience of Christ. We're to love God with all of our mind when we can get this wrapped around him. Trust me, church, it will change who we are. Life will be great. When our mind is filled with loving the Father first and letting him take all the consequences and being obedient, being devoted to him, he's going to step in and he's going to provide everything that we need. But our minds, who we are, see, we've got to choose to do this. We are not robots. You've seen the, what's it, one of those Santa Claus movies, was it two or three, where they recreated a a Santa Claus while the real one had to come back to earth. And there was these robots and they would do exactly what they were told to do. That's not love. God wanted us to love him. He gave us a mind so that we could choose. And we must choose to love him. We must choose to be devoted to him. We must think about this. We must wrap our mind around it and make that decision. Most everyone in this room, as far as I know, chose the person that you love. I can't imagine some of these mail order brides. You know, let me pick up a catalog and, oh, I like the way she looks. The sentence, she's just supposed to love them. We see these are are people that are beaten and to try to be into submission. That's not love. Might be action, but it's not with the mind. It's not true love. That changes everything. Because see, when we choose to do it, we take ownership of it. So we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Look there at verse 38. It says, this is the greatest and foremost commandment. Then 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Jesus, you're starting to step on the toes now. You want me to love other people like I love myself? I love myself pretty good. I believe most of us in here do. But here the love he is talking about is again to have a warm regard or interest for another, but it's to a human being. It's a broad range of people. It's not necessarily, listen here, here's the difference. It's not the special devotion, how the love is used here like it is to God. And I'm glad he did that because let me tell you, church, a little secret. There are a lot of people in this world that I love, but I don't like. I don't, I'm not commanded to have a special devotion to everyone in this world. There are people who we just don't get along with. There are people who have hurt us or for whatever reason we don't get along, but we're to still love them. To love your neighbor, we're to have that Affection for them without a devotion. Good illustration we read in scripture about the man who was beat. 
And then you had the priest that came by. Of all people. He wasn't going to go that away. And then the, the other one come by. But then the good Samaritan it talked about who that neighbor was. But the love. We're to love. We're to, to care for. What is an act of love that we need to do? Even for the people we don't like. And that greatest act of love, I believe, is to pray for their salvation. If they're already saved, praise the Lord. We need to pray for them. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. But just as we were lost and God loved us and he sent his son, the greatest act of love we can do is to pray for someone's salvation, even when we don't like them. It's not our choice who goes to heaven or hell. That's between them and God. But who is this neighbor that we're supposed to love? This neighbor that we're to love is the one that's close in position to us. It's a fellow human being. So I would probably say anybody that you pass is a neighbor. Anybody that's around you is a neighbor. A fellow human being is a neighbor. I know many of you might have some neighbors on the other side of the fence that you just might not like. But we still have to love them. Have to be, I'd say we have to be friendly and cordial to them. Might not invite them over for supper. Why do we, why? Why would we want to do that? Because you see, God lives in us and the Bible tells us what God is. Love. And if God lives in us, love should live out of us. And our attitude toward our neighbor might be the very thing that causes them to receive Christ. Wouldn't that be great? Amen? But on the flip side, it might be the very thing that causes them to reject Christ and go to hell. And I don't want that on my life. Again, like I can say, you don't always have to like them, but it tells us that the second command here is to love the neighbor as ourselves. Let's look at Romans 13, verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Why is it important once we love God to love our neighbor? Because it changes everything. Here are these acts of love. Why does this sum up? You can take any of the commandments and they fall under God and neighbor. Loving God or loving neighbor. You know, if I love my neighbor, what does it say there at verse 9? It says, you shall not commit adultery. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to have an affair or commit adultery with his wife. That's his wife. Or with him, for if you're the woman. You love your neighbor, you're not going to murder someone. Remember, our neighbors is those acquaintances to them. If we love them and we respect life, then we're not going to murder. If we love our neighbor, we're not going to steal from them. 
If I love you, I'm not going to come in your house and go pilfering through your medicine cabinet and steal something out of it or, or while you're in there gracefully cooking a meal so that we can share something, start digging in your purse and steal from you. That's not love. But when we love, we care about other people. We think about them. What else does it say there? It says, you shall not covet. If I love you, I don't want what's yours. says to love your neighbor. You see how love changes everything. But what does it tell us right there? The second is love your neighbor. Here's our third thing today. Love yourself. This is important, church. You might think that this would be... um, Something that just happens. You know, there are a lot of people in this world that don't love their self. They just think poorly of, we need to love ourselves. Come on, as born again believers, the ones that are able to do this, we're children of God. We have the inheritance of heaven. We have the inheritance of being right with Christ. We're co-heirs with him. God says that you're in right standing with me. Love yourself. For a lot of people, loving yourself isn't a hard problem. It's that loving the neighbor. How do we do that? Simple. How would you want to be treated? That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. We can go back and we can look through those, you shall not commit adultery. Do I want somebody to commit adultery with my wife? No. Do I want somebody to commit adultery with me? No. Do I want somebody to steal from me? Do you want somebody to steal from you? Do you want somebody to covet what you want so much that they're jealous? Do you want someone to murder you? Look at all these things. If you're loving your neighbor as yourself, these things are going to fall right in place. Almost, I believe, God put it there to make it a little easier for us. How do we want to be done? How do we want to be treated? What is love like to us? Show that to other people. This was also talked about in the Levitical law. Let's just real quickly look at Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 and verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Do you like it when people have a grudge against you? So thankful the Father helps us with this. I think the world with this loving ourselves has taken it a bit far. But what we have inside teaches us so much. And if we can take this and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind first, then we're going to be able to love ourselves. And loving ourselves, we're going to understand what it is to love our neighbor. Again, this love, it's not a a request. It's a command. It's a requirement. And Jesus, even after God had done it, reiterated in the New Testament the importance of love, to love God first and then love neighbor as yourself. Can you imagine today, church, in closing, what the world would be like if everyone loved God 
wholeheartedly. And everyone loved the rest of the world as they loved themselves. Wow, what a place that would be. Can I tell you one thing? If you've received Christ, you're going to live in a world just like that one day. When we go to heaven, we're going to stand before the great God and we're going to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And the love will be so rich and intimate that it will overflow into everything else. And I believe that we will love all around. When you read into Revelations and you hear trying to describe what heaven looks like, so vastly beautiful that he could only use words that he knew the streets are like gold. And the walls of jasper and the different levels on the wall. You know, I believe all of that. Like I said earlier, we can see color. I believe the vastness and beauty of heaven is because there's so much love. May we obey God and may we bring a piece of that love to the earth that we live on today. And may we each make it a better place. Amen. May you bow your heads.